Updog fella. Look good, feel good, play good. We got some new Adidas golf swag coming the fella's way. I don't know if any new golf swag would help your game, but, but I love it. Adidas is excited to introduce new offerings within the go-to apparel collection that allows you to bring your style to the golf course. Not the traditional golf uniform. Go-to brings a fresh attitude to the game wherever you play. You'll look good on and off the course while enjoying all the technical benefits that let you play your best. Featuring streetwear-inspired style, the go-to collection rewrites all the rules and encourages you to express your style through every swing. Explore the new go-to collection on adidas.com slash golf. Fella. Ladies and gentlemen, back. welcome back to another fresh new episode of Missing Curfew. I'm Shane O'Brien with a little bit of a different setup this week. My boy, William Scotty Upshaw, did not make back from Maui. He was having too good of a time, and he's still there. Maui Updog, what's going on, buddy? Hey, gentlemen. Uh, life is good. It's a little early over here. A little 6 a.m. wake up with the, with the microphone and the coffee, but it, it's an absolute pleasure to be chatting with you boys and uh, lots to talk about today. And on the East Coast, Broadway, Jimmy Scoops Hayes. What's up, boys? Uh, I was really, really jealous seeing those pictures of you guys on a golf course in Maui. So I'm excited to hear all about this trip you guys are on. And Updog, extended vacation. I love it, man. You got to have an extended vacation when you bring the baby over here. I ran out of diapers, so I had to go get those. But, uh, geez, been hitting the pickleball court every morning and teeing it up. So uh, life has been good, boys. Broadway, I've, I've, I felt bad for you throughout this whole process because me and the updog are in the studio, breaking it down, you know, hanging out. I, I'm feeling pretty lonely in here today, bro. So I want to just say thank you for sticking with us all this time when me and Uppy are in the studio, drinking, hanging out. It's, it's a lot more fun than this because it's a little lonely in the studio here, boys. Yeah, it can get lonely on the other side here. I, get, I actually do get a lot of jealousy. I'm not going to lie. Lots and lots of jealousy because you guys are shooting it, cracking beers and whatnot. But, uh, you know, we get it done. We're a team here. We figure it out. Absolutely. So we'll get into our weekend. First of all, up dog. Shout out to our boy, Craig Manchester, Chaz man. Uh, his beautiful wife, Carol. We went over there for her birthday. Um, folks, McKenna. It's on Maui, obviously. It's it's next level. We were buzzing around at golf carts, playing golf, playing pickleball. So Chaz man, next level. I love it. Um, Uppy, what a weekend. Hey, buddy, just tell our listeners if they're looking for Discovery Project, McKenna might be the one, huh? Obi, we got a good group of guys that we play golf with in Newport Beach. Pretty lucky couple Canadians you and I are after retirement to be to be chilling, teeing it up, jumping on a private bird with, with 14, 15 of our friends. Shout out to Micah Chandy for the ride over. Um, but yeah, you're right. We're here with a bunch of friends. Uh, we're in Wailea, the area of uh, McKenna on the west. I think it's the west or south part of the island. South, either yeah. one, it's a, either one, Obs, it's juice part of the island and, uh, you know, we got the beach, uh, the beach club here. The drinks are always flowing. Uh, like I said, I was been playing pickleball, a little competitive pickleball in the morning to get the sweat going. Uh, you come home, shower, throw on a little sunscreen, and and just go right to the first tee box with a nice uh, taco and a margarita. It's pretty pretty awesome. Obes, oh, I was checking out that setup. I saw you doing. Uh, you're at the gym that one and a driving range connected to each other right there. That that was unbelievable. That's National League. Yeah, it's National League, and I can't remember. I had been there before Broadway, but I think that was just because of COVID setup. Because I think they have a nasty gym too. 
But when I first got over there, we went right to the golf course and we tore them up coming off the bird. And yeah, I was right there. We worked out every morning. My girl, she keeps me pretty honest. She's she goes to bed early and up early. So Maui was perfect for her because like as up dog can contest to here, like you get up in the morning, you get all day, you play golf, and then you go to dinner, and then by like 10 o'clock, 10 30, up dog, you're done, right? Absolutely done. Jimbo, the first day I got here, we played. I got up, felt fresh. I'm on California time. I'm up at like 5.30 with the daughter. And uh, we go, we meet at the gym, little workout. Uh, we go play pickleball. I play for like, you know, two hours. It's finish the pickleball. I go get a quick bite in, shower, go to the tee. I think first, I mean, Obi, I play with you. You're in my cart. First like five, six holes, I made three or four birdies, four in a row. And then I fucking literally could not. I, I could not see straight. I, I was getting lightheaded. I was going down on one knee. Obes was like, fuck up, dog. Are you going to be okay? And I'm like, buddy, I'm, I'm going to be so dehydrated. I'm like, he's passing me wet towels, fucking Gatorade. So I literally just crushed water all day. I still ended up shooting pretty good. I fell apart on the back of the side, Jimbo. I thought I was going to need some Jimbo goggles. I was like, wow, he's not even drinking. He is fucking hurt, by the way. <laughs> First day. Hey, yeah. You just got to hop on that wagon with me here, boys. Just crush some waters. You'll never be dehydrated. Up dog, yeah, he was in one Broadway. He was like, "Oh, my, you ever get where you're kind of, you know, your chest is feeling a little light?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like too many times, buddy, especially at the end of shifts back in the day." But I think it would happen up here because the first time I went to McKenna, me and Doherty, we get on the we get on the the private bird in uh, in John Wayne, and Doherty's a good Irishman. He just we get on there, we start drinking. So, anyways, long story short, we drink for the whole four and a half hours, like drinking, just getting pinned. We get right there, we get right to the course, we get pinned on the course, get pinned that night. So up here, I was like, that's probably what you did. You were dehydrated from flying. And then they have these golf carts at McKenna Broadway that go about 40 miles an hour, right? So this is my my first time in McKenna. This is the third day of the trip, and it's a boys' trip, so we've been going hard. So I showed up here back to the scene of the crime. Anyways, I fell on this fucking golf cart going 40 miles an hour into this, like, lava rock because there's, like, lava everywhere. <laughs> but I'm like, up here, this is where I went buck diddy out of this cart. Like, up, honestly, Broadway – I'm lucky I didn't get hurt because I like slid this lava, like scraped my ass, scraped my back. I was, I was out of commission. So these these golf carts go 40 miles an hour, and, and up dog. Tell our listeners because this you told me this story over the weekend about Gaza Ranch, man. This is another discovery project, but you have one of the best golf cart stories ever. Well, boys, it all starts with these a these golf carts going too fucking fast is what is what's going on. They're like cranked up super speed, but uh, yeah, my first trip to Gaza Ranch, I'm playing with our boy Rusty Russ Cortnell legendary podcast guest for the boys and uh it was day one or day two of the trip i meet this girl she was super cool we're having drinks at the tree bar which is the you know the main bar on the turn but it's where at night everyone's around there drinking partying they got lights bartenders are super cool so anyway everyone everyone gets overserved, obviously <laughs> and uh you know it wasn't too far away back to the house so i grab it i grab this car and i'm dropping this girl off but it's like pitch black she doesn't know where she's going really she was a guest and uh so we're just cruising on the road and she gets to a part where this looks super familiar to her and she's like oh yeah it's right over here so of course i like i turn this way and as i'm turning i'm looking i'm like ah there's not much here and she goes actually no back here and so i just go with the quick right turn left turn and she fucking jimmy flies out of my cart into the dirt like i'm talking bounce bounce on the <laughs> on the pavement into the into the rocks now it wasn't lava obi it wasn't like you because the lava here is sharp and like sticky but man this girl jumps out of my she flies out of my car jimbo i like look over it was like 
it was like you hit someone in the middle of the night and you're like, oh my God. I put on the brakes. I jump out of the car. I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? She just gets up. No problem. Just like, ah. She gets up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, 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 no. I'm fine. It's my fault. Like I didn't really hold on or whatever. She literally just fell right out. So I drop her off at her house and I'm like, you're going to be okay. Like I'll come in, you know, we'll put some bandages. If you're cut up, let's see your, your arm or whatever. And she's like, she's like, no, I'm fine. So I go back to the bar. I drop off the cart. I'm walking distance from where I was. And uh, the bartender's like, geez, what's going on? You look flustered. I'm like, I go, buddy, I was just dropping this girl off and she flew out of my cart. Like when we went to make a turn, he's like, ah, that shit happens all the time here. I'm like, does it? I don't think it does like this. You, you think so? Does it really though? Um, show up to the boys. So show up to the range the next morning to uh, have a breakfast sando before we do the shotgun start at 8 a.m. And this, uh, this guy comes up to me. Well, Kelly Chase, first of all, my boy comes up and was like, hey, uh, how'd your night go? Did you, uh, did you get home right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, did you happen to drop anyone off? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, well, I tried to. And he's like, you got to come with me. You got to meet like the guy who she was with, like, cause she was with a couple. So of course I go over this guy, big Mike. I'm like, big Mike, man. I'm, uh, I'm Scotty. Like we met last night briefly, but I dropped your, I dropped, uh, I forget her name. Anyway, <laughs> names, names are not important right now, but she's okay. And, uh, and I'm just like, you know, I'm sorry, but I dropped her off. I was going to come in and, and he's like, he's like, buddy, you know, she, she likes to drink. She had no idea your name. She forgot who dropped her off <laughs> and she had to go to the hospital this morning to get some bandages on her arm, but I'm sure you'll see her here at the course today and she'll probably want to have another drink with you and get, like start drinking again. So I'm like, okay, like kind of wipe my hands clean of the whole situation and, and went on to win the golf tournament. So no yeah, fuck. So that's, a, that's just a good weekend, isn't it? Oves? It's, it's, it's a great weekend. And that story's great in so many levels. One, because when you went back to the bartender, she's like, ah, shake it off. You're like, does it really, though? Does it really? And two, that she was so pinned that she couldn't describe you really or remember your name. She's like, ah, some guy with good hair fucking threw me out of the cart. But anyways, Broadway, once once COVID gets going, we'll get you to a discovery project. And for any of our listeners out there that, I don't know if you fell into some big money and are looking for somewhere to go play golf, these discovery projects, um, I mean, they're next level. They're National League. It's unbelievable. So careful from the golf carts, though. They can catch you on a personal level. Me and Updog found out. So, boys, let's dive into some hockey here. Um, we decided to go with some power rankings. I think we're – what are we? How many games in? 10, 15 games? How many games in are we, Broadway? I haven't even – Yeah, really... uh, depending on the team. Some teams got the COVID issue, but uh, yeah. anywhere from like 7 to 11 games, I think, is like the max so far. Yeah, so we got a small sample size, but Updog, we're, we're going to do our power rankings. It doesn't have to be just your top five teams that you think are the best right now. Um, fire away. Who do you think are the top five teams in the league right now, bud? Boys, hard not to go with the, the En Francais, Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> I, uh, I got to give them credit, boys. They weren't up top of my list. I know, Obi, you, uh, you pumped them up, I believe, at the start of the year. It was one of you two beauties, but Carey Price... Man, he's still standing in the net. We got, you know, Shea Weber, our boy Webbs. Uh, and then you got Josh Anderson, Tyler Tuck Foley. Th those guys are killing it for me right now. So the Montreal Canadiens, good job. Toronto Maple Leafs are right up there too for me. And it's good for hockey. It's good for everyone. Um, you know, down south, you got the Tampa Bay Lightning. Haven't missed a, haven't missed a beat. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, who sent me the retro jersey boys. I had her in studio last week. Shout out to my boy, Brian Hardberg, for sending me the jersey, the Flyers jersey. But they're doing some fucking. 
And then, uh, you know, I, I'm going to throw my blues on there. They're finding their way. They're playing good. And, uh, uh, you know, those are my top five right now, boys. All right, Broadway, Jimmy Scoops, what do you got for your top five, fella? Uh, for my top five, I'm sticking with you, up dog. I think the Canadians have uh, shown the league that they're here to play. and they're, they're crushing it up in the North Division right now. Um, then I'm going to get uh, Philly. I'm, a, I'm riding Philly with Gritty. Me and Gritty are probably their two biggest super fans. Yeah, you, you're, we, we know you're riding Philly, brother. I we love know, Philly. And, and they're the best bet in hockey right now. They're, they're, they're putting you some money if you're betting them every night. And then I'm going to get St. Louis. And then I, I like Florida. Florida's the only team that still hasn't lost yet. And then uh, to top it off, the, the other team I have is Carolina. They've only played seven games, but they look really good too. So those are my top five. Broadway, I love it. Hey, Broadway, that hat you're rocking, is that one of the hats the boys sent us? Yeah, look at this. This is Chuck Buckets right here. And then you got Broadway on the back. Look at that. Yeah. Broadway, the boys, you guys got some coming your way right now. So no, we'll I'll be, be rocking the, these. Yeah, they, they sent them to us. So we got the 55 up dog. Yours was number nine, I believe. But those are pretty cool lids. So uh, Should have been 69. <laughs> for my top five boys I'm, i i kind of did it on the fact that like one of my five teams i'm still kind of thinking i know it's early but come playoff time so i got tampa as the best team in the league still i think the way they're playing unbelievable i got colorado as number two they're banged up right now but you know when i've watched them play this year their firepower man i mean they can score five six seven on you um very quickly uh, I watched these guys play last night. St. Louis looks good. Um, they're getting a lot of scoring from their back end. Updog, that Pranko guy who I heard Panger said is a notorious late starter, still hasn't chipped in, but their defense is scoring tons of goals. Falk, who we said, boys, with Petrangelo. Like, if you don't resign Petrangelo, Falk's been unbelievable. Um, number four, Montreal. Uh, Anderson, man, that guy fucks. And then Broadway, by fifth team is Carolina. Uh, mainly because they've won some money for me this year already, but <laughs> Um, I think they look good, and I think, you know, we've seen Carolina building, building. Do you think, Broadway, that they could have some success come playoff time? Yeah, I do. I like their team a lot, and I think this Aho and then, uh, the, which is the Russians' last name, one of the best of the names, Shinestikov. Shinestikov, yeah. I think those two guys together are unbelievable. He's having a great start, and he had a nice uh, shootout winner last night for them. I think their team, to, like with that back end they have, they have one of the best back ends in hockey, if you're asking me. Boys, I think we also got to throw the Dallas Stars in here. Like Dallas Stars, yep. late, late, uh, you know, tiptoe to the dance this year with the with the COVID. But man, they came out with a bang. Like they are scoring goals. They're they're top guys who I thought might have fallen off. The Joel Pavel, you know, Pavelski, uh, oh. Radulov, Jamie Ben, who had a long playoff series, you know, long playoff <clears throat> uh, race last last year. They just have their stuff going, and it's good to see. They're playing hard in front of Bones, Obes, and, uh, you know, D Doobie's standing on his head, and and they're they're a team that's proven that they're not just, uh, you know, a, a one-year get-to-the-dance fluke. They're ready to they're ready to go again. We're not going home. We are not <laughs> going home. We're not going home. The mad uh, Russian. Updog Dallas does look good. I'll tell you who's, who's not going to be in the top five this year, and I thought they were going to be better is – the poor Ottawa Senators, boys. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you want to make some money, I bet against the Senators. I think, and well, they've lost seven straight, so all seven games. And I, and I thought they were going to be a little bit better. Is it Broadway? I don't know if you caught a lot of Ottawa. Is it just because that North Division, like last night, they had McDavid and Drysdale doing their thing? Um, what are your thoughts on Ottawa so far? Have you watched them at all? I've watched a little bit, but the biggest thing with Ottawa was their 
banking on Matt Murray to be like their savior, and, and he's struggling right now. He's getting lit up. He's got to be bottom of the league. I think he there was a stat for like projected goals against, and he's dead last. So it's he's basically the worst starting goalie in the league right now. So if they they got some guys, they added pieces like on the roster, they look good. But I mean, right now I'm setting the over under at. 10 wins. I don't know if they're going to get there. Seriously, I don't think they're going to get 10 wins. I, I mean, fuck it. There's no nights off in that North Division. They're just <laughs> Poor Matt Murray's like, what the fuck? They're not doing the fucking. They're getting fucked. Oh, yeah. what's going on. Yeah, that's that's not the, the right side of that uh, program you want to be on. No, and I, I saw my boy Stutzel Stutzel last night. Fucking, He got one late on a, on a nice pass from Derek Stefan on the breakaway for a little fucking cookie monster goal, but you could see, you know, the frustration in his eyes that, like, he's just like, what in the fuck is going on out here? Like, that's a kid getting a taste of the National League, and we've all been on some bad teams. It's it's tough, and I, I think DJ Smith's a great coach-up dog. I just think with the way that North Division, that Ottawa, fuck Broadway, you may be right. I hope they win more than 10 games, but you never know. Yeah, and that they're, like, they have so many issues because they got Colin White, who I think is a hell of a player, and he's been healthy scratched a bunch of times. So I don't know what's going on there. He's a guy that they signed to a big contract expecting to play top six. And I think that's uh, an instance where you start losing your confidence this early in the season and everything's going south. That's just a recipe for disaster. I agree. So in the, in the nation's capital up north, hang in there. But, I mean, I will, well, it brings us into our next topic, boys. I will say one thing about Ottawa. This is the only thing they got going for them. The old school jerseys they're rocking nowadays are fire. The white, the black ones are fire. So maybe their jerseys eventually will get them going. But um, first taste of the retro jerseys up, dog. Um, we saw them obviously in the off season. Like you said, your old flyer sent you a juicy upshot one. Um, it's always different once you see them on the ice. What ones jumped out for you, good or bad? Or what were you feeling on the retro jerseys? Boys, I like what I saw yesterday with the LA Kings and their yeah. old Marcel Dion. Uh, those are juice boys, purple and yellow. I mean, it just brings you back to like, I, that's even before our time, I think, but I, I love what I'm seeing out of them. Um, I love the Colorado avalanche. I love Sid, man. Sid, the kid looked good in his the other day. Yeah. Like, yeah. right. Sid, the kid looked good. Uh, Jack Eichel. I mean, Jack Eichel's looks great and, but they're going to be on the shelf for a little bit here. I think they're off for a week. So, um, <laughs> yeah. The Buffalo Sabers, they got some nasty ones, but yeah, man, there it's it's nice to see the NHL coming out with all those now. The fans getting excited, spending some money, uh, you know, little kids dicing themselves up in some old retro jerseys. So that's great for the game. Yeah, Oppie, I agree with you. I thought LA's was awesome. Pittsburgh's was a cool one. Um, the ones that I thought were a little bit weird was uh, Columbus. When I tuned the game on, I thought they were the Washington Capitals. So I wasn't sure what's going on there, but uh, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe they could play like the Capitals. That'd be a different yeah. story, but they sure don't. And then I, I wanted to get your thoughts on those uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs ones. That they almost look gray, like they're blue, but they got a the little bit of gray on the shoulder. They were kind of a little bit funky. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, Broadway, good point. And our boy Lupul, uh, I don't know how much hockey Loops watches anymore, but he he tuned into the Leaf game and he was like in our group text. He's like, "Why in the fuck?" Are they making these guys wear these uniforms from Walmart? I'm like, <laughs> I, go, I go for fucking revenue loops. These guys are trying to make anything they want. They'll wear, they'll wear any jersey if they don't have to pay as much escrow as they're fucking projecting. But so as a former Leaf, Loops said the, the Leafs ones were awful. Um, I guess they were. I don't know. When I first saw them, I thought they might be I all like right. Them. They might be all right. But if, if Lupo, who has more style than me, is saying they're awful, then I'm going to agree. Uh, Updog, I'm going to piggyback you. Pittsburgh, man. When I saw the pit across, 
Uh, I just thought of Mario the Magnificent back in the day and Yogs with the mullet when they were just fucking dominating, <laughs> winning cups. So, And then for me, I had down uh, last night, although it didn't help their performance because the Ducks went in and absolutely shit kicked them. Uh, LAs were nasty with the purple and the old school King logo. So uh, I think it's cool for the game. And like I said, if anything to generate some revenue up dog for these players, I don't think they mind right now, right? 100%. And let's throw in Edmonton too. The, the night that the... The Walmart jerseys came out for Toronto. Edmonton had the the orange pants. McDavid went out and got, you know, I don't know, yeah, him and Dreisaitl between each other. What was that game, boys? We were getting drunk here in, in Hawaii. That goal, that Dreisaitl, goal he scored. Oh. Dreisaitl had six apples. <laughs> and McDavid had five. Uh, goal five. And five app, a goal and four apples. So, I mean, those guys are doing some major thumping up there, and that's, uh, that's good to see. But, um, yeah, those jerseys, the oil look good. Good up in oil country, boys. The Oilers started to turn around. Our boy Tyson Berry has nine points now. So that is, uh, he's got, I just saw someone tweet, that's two more than Morgan Riley's got in Toronto for whatever reason someone tweeted that. But Bears is finding his game. Um, I watched the game last night, and, and Brayden Colburn, although he's he's getting a little long in the tooth, but he's always been a good skater, right? Like when you played against Colburn, you're like, this guy can skate, right? Yeah, well, he's the worst. He, he had from the, just inside the blue line, and McDavid was just at the red line. And McDavid beat him to the puck. I think the linesman felt bad for him and still called it icing, but I forget who was calling the game. I think it was Mike Johnson was like, you just don't see that in the NHL. Like, these are NHL players. McDavid caught him within, like, three strides. It was crazy up dog. Did he beat him? Did he beat his nose to the puck? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, think, hell, I man, you better get a good jump. Even if it's McDavid, you better have a good head start to beat Colbert's nose to that bisky there. Hey, I, I, I think that's why he got it. His nose fucking beat him there. <laughs> Uffy, tell the story about tell the story about Thornton in Florida. I wasn't playing that game, but tell about Colburn. Well, we get we get all these questions from fans, and and thank you for that because we love answering them. But we we had the one like best hockey chirps, right? And I played with some of the best the best guys. I played with Otter since he was like nineteen with World Juniors chirping like Russians and Czechs over over in Czech Republic. And anyway, all through the, all through Scott Walker, hilarious. Vern Fiddler, hilarious. But. Man, Sean Thornton, when I was in Philadelphia and Sean Thornton was at the Boston Bruins, we were in the garden and we, it was, I mean, I was on the ice and it was in our, in our zone and Thornton like, whoa, 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 lines would back these fucking guys out of here. He's like, look at Coburn's nose. It's halfway in the circle. And everyone was like, it's fucking dying. Back Coburn out. His nose is fucking almost in the face-off dot here. So... Shout out to our boy Thority. We got to have him on. I know he's uh, I know he's doing his CEO stuff in Florida, but he's a beauty and great stories out of that guy. I mean, that's one of the best. When I heard that one, I think you and Loops told me for the first time when we were having a couple cocktails. Fuck, did I laugh? Hey, Colbo's nose is in the circle. Um, <laughs> so to Thority, yeah, Thority was one of the best I played with for chirping too. So we'll get Thority on. Um, boys, there was something that happened. Our boy Ryan Getzlav, who brought away your favorite player, we know that now. Goes out and fights Kyle Clifford when it's three nothing for Anaheim. And great, granted, it wasn't the most, it wasn't a Bob Probert Cox fight back in the day where they went for a minute and a half. But you know, there were some comments on our missing curfew clips and missing curfew. And listen, we love the comments; we can take it. But so people were saying it changed momentum for St. Louis because they didn't think it was a very good fight. First of all, when your captain at 35 years old goes out and fights with nobody in the fucking building, that gets the boys going. But Uppy, what were your thoughts? When I saw it, I was like, fucking right, Getsy. And if I'm on that bench, I'm looking at these young guys, maybe you guys should be fucking doing it instead of Getzlav at 35 years old. 
Boys, uh, some of my best captains I've ever played for have stepped up and fought when when necessary and even fight when not necessary just to send a message for for probably the way we've played in the last week, two weeks or the road trip or the homestand, even though there's no no fans in the crowd. But uh, when Getsy steps up and fights, boys, it could be there's always a message to be sent from him. He's, he does things methodically. He's not just going out there and being an idiot. He doesn't take bad penalties. He goes to the net hard, Obi, all the time. He battles hard. Um, if he steps up and fights Clifford like that, no matter what the score is, it was, Obi, you were saying it was 3 nothing for, for the Anaheim Ducks at the time? Yeah. Okay, no. that's yeah, – I was just – sorry, but I was trying to figure out because I thought that that's what the situation was. Um, when the pesky Blues go up 3 nothing on you – Fucking Ryan Getzloff is grabbing someone and, and pumping him to send a message. And that should trickle through the whole the whole dressing room. The whole bench, the coaches need to see it. I know that they're not using Getze like they should, especially with a young team like that who are struggling. But um, I like what I see, boys. Mike Richards would have stepped up and did the same thing. Shane Doan stepped up and did the same thing. You have guys that just play with their hearts on the sleeves. That's Getzloff, and, and I like what I saw. Yeah, Uppy, I agree with you. Big time, both of you guys. That that was to me, that was a big time leadership move by him. Cause like his hands are full with that Anaheim team. They're young and he's just sending a message to these kids. Like he doesn't have to do it. They have one of the toughest guys in the league in their lineup in Delorier, who had a great fight last night with uh, oh, McDermott. Yeah. So I just think it just goes to show you where what type of person Ryan Getzlaff is. He's a true leader. He's going to do anything to help his team win. And he's just trying to get his boys going and get this uh, ship turned around in Anaheim. I mean, their hands are full. They're young. I just think it's going to be a long season for Getzlaff, but I loved what he did. Yeah, I agree. Getzy fucks. And, and I'll be real quick on Mike Richards. He made a comment on when we had Berkey on that fucking beauty. Richie's comments on missing curfew was, I don't think, the players police the game anymore and guys are are so used to not getting hit that when they're they're unexpected to get hit like they don't think they're gonna get hit anymore and that's why hits like that happen would you agree with rich on that that these guys are so used to not getting hit that when they do they're like i saw that young kid from from montreal get hit behind the net uh it starts with a k what's his name broadway um like, finish yeah the finish kid like kink and I mean, yeah yeah he got he got hit behind the net it was a good hit he went back to bench threw his fucking buck and i'm like buddy it's the fucking national league up, you think Richie's right? These kids are just skating around with their head down, expecting not to get hit. I do. I think it's time that you know the 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 players in the league who know how to send a message the right way uh, govern the game and say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna lay guys out. This is part of the game that we love. This is part of the game that fans love. You don't want to hurt guys. Like you know, Christopher Steeg will stand up for all the top players in the league right now, and I love Steger, but these guys still need to get hit. You still need to create, you know, space in the game and create room for your guys on the ice and create energy and just do it the right way. I always love hitting guys in those trolley tracks behind the net, coming down. Now, if I came down from my wing, that's dirty. You hide behind the net, you hide behind your goalie, you pick a guy. But man, if a guy's coming around the net and you're gonna try to send a message, go down and smack him. Like, do it the clean way. I think it's, I think it's part of the game that these young kids. You know, they, they all need to pick up their level of intensity sometimes. This isn't just all-star pond hockey out here. Let's, like, let's get some hits going. Let's get the fans involved. And that's that was a good point by Richie. And, Broadway, before I go to you about that, and listen, for the people out there that are going to be like, oh, Richard, sit on booth. It, Richie would be the first one to admit that that hit was fucking, you know, he wasn't proud of that hit. He, he paid the penalty for it. He's not talking about hits like that. We're not talking about guys getting knocked cold out. Like, we don't want to see anyone hurt. We don't want blindside hits. We're talking about a good, clean body check. 
And Broadway, I think that's what Richie's talking about, huh? Yeah, I agree with you guys because it's like you said, it, the game of hockey was it's a tough sport. It's meant to be played hard. And guys that are getting, like you said, the cheap shots, those hits are gone, but you can't take those big hip checks. Like that kid Orloff, he hit, he has some of the best hip checks in hockey, and they're clean. So when there's a clean hit, I mean, uh, everyone's expecting a fight. Usually, if it's one of your superstars that's getting hit hard like that, yeah, you're going to have to have someone step up and take care of business because it's your best player and you gotta. that's where you build team commodity. But it's, I, I, I can't see that hit leaving the game. And if it does, it's, it's not good for the league. It's, it's, the league has turned to so much skill, which is awesome, tons of scoring. But everyone loves the high intensity of hockey. Yeah, and if they try to take that hit out, us old fucking washed-up podcasters will keep fucking chirping about it. So, Richie, <laughs> keep it coming, buddy. We love it. Boys, this was a little bit further down in our rundown, but seeing how we're talking about Getsy and the Ducks, um, the Finnish Flash, Tim Mussolini, who confirmed will be on the pod the next couple of weeks, which we're really excited about, he tweeted out um, about Zagras not being with the Ducks. And I want to get your opinion. Listen, I've watched the Ducks a lot. I love Dallas. They're, they're playing great structure. Gibby's given a chance to win every night. Now, they, they can't fucking score goals. And they got this kid down in the fucking jungle in the Banana League. Fucking, He scored that penalty break uh, shootout shot that looked like he was playing fucking men's league with the boys. Is Bob Murray making a mistake here? Should this kid up be up in the lineup helping them create offense? Because the Ducks structurally and with Gibby and Nett, if you get someone to help offensively, fuck that fourth spot in the West is wide open. Yeah, the Obi, that's – I mean, just because the fourth spot in the West is open – I can totally agree with you, and I'm not going to compare this kid uh, to to me by no means because he's he's so nasty. But I was a sixth overall pick too, and I started my career up with Nashville my first year. I played nine games. They sent me back. Our team was complete shit. We started off like one or two and ten in our first twelve, and they just kind of looked at the situation. We're like, we don't want we don't want a, a, our young first round pick to develop in this situation now. I don't think Bob Murray is methodically thinking like that, but you know, I don't see that's being a bad reason to get him in the jungle and kind of make him earn it. Like he might be, it might be his attitude maybe. Uh, and I don't know, I'm not speaking, but if his attitude is like, I should be up there. Uh, and that's kind of seen amongst the room. Like I'm sure Ryan Getzloff's been in meetings where they're talking about, should we bring the kid up or not? And Getzy, if, and we, ha we haven't spoke to Getzy. I don't know if you have Obi, but that is a big question. Like he needs guys to score goals. They're they're in games that you know they beat LA last night, but they're in games. And you're right, that fourth spot, if that's open, and it's the matter of scoring a few more goals a night and getting this kid maybe before he's fully developed, you got to bring him up. And Solani's right. Solani will know. Um, so you know who knows. You probably called it, boys. Before we get Timo on on this podcast, we might see this kid in a in a Ducks uniform before we know it. Yeah, and I think he should be in the NHL. Just like you said, you get Ryan Getzlaff. What's he got? Uh, his last year on his deal. The, there's not. There's probably not a better captain for this kid to learn from. You, you don't know where Ryan Getzlaff's going to be next year. They're struggling to score goals. This kid has proven himself at every level that he can put up points. And I think in the way the NHL is today, with his skill and his speed, that he'd be effective right now. And it's. I was shocked. I actually thought he was going to be on their opening night roster. And to see him scoring those six shootout goals or in the minors, I'm just kind of I feel like they're just wasting time and they're in a and they're in a race. It's 56 games. They're 11 games in. And like when you look at that, does that bring you to like November usually when you're looking at a regular season? And but there's a there's a stat if you're at 
in the playoffs by Thanksgiving, there's an 80% chance they're going to make the playoffs. So the Ducks need to stay in this race, and they need scoring, and they got a kid right there in, in their program. Yeah, Jimmy Scoops, nice little Thanksgiving stat. That was great. Yeah, baby. I agree with that. And listen, I guess you don't want to bring him up, and if he struggles, I have to send him back down because maybe that. But I've watched the Ducks a lot because we're living out here up dog, and I love Dally, and I just think maybe this guy could spark them offensively. And when you got Gibby in net, um, you know, he gives you a chance to win every night. So, Getsy, good on you, buddy. Keep it going. We love you. Um, Broadway, I want to start with you here first because I think you know more about this guy than me and the up dog. Um, obviously D'Angelo in New York, he's been put on waivers. He cleared waivers. Uh, we all know he's a great player. Listen, stuff happens through the course of a season, right? There's, there's arguments, there's practice fights, fucking Uppy's boy Bartuzzo fought your boy Sanford a couple years ago. And next thing you know, he got a three-year deal and they went on to win the Stanley cup. So it, it, it's never a bad thing, but uh, what are you hearing Broadway? What's going on with D'Angelo? Because this guy was, I think fourth in D scoring last year and he's a right-handed shot. He can play. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing that I'm hearing, it kind of pisses me off and, I know we're media now too, but all these stories about him taking that puck for the first goal for Keandre Miller are not true. I heard him fighting Kreider in the locker room is not true. And I think teams know what they get when they get Tony D'Angelo. And he's a hell of a player. Like you said, he put up 55 points last year, but he comes with uh, with a personality. And it's just, you got to be able to maintain that personality. People might think, I'm crazy right now, but I think he should be picked up on another team. If not, like he's got to get traded ASAP. I, I don't know if someone's going to pick up his $5 million contract, but the Rangers are probably going to have to eat half that. And I, I can see a team picking him up for half the salary. And he's a hell of a player and he's effective. But, you know, he, he is what he is. And I've heard nothing but great things. My brother loves the kid. But, you know, if he gets in the right situation with the right leadership group, I think it's a, a, a big win for whatever team grabs him. Boys, I think Berkey talked on this last week, Obi, when when we talked about making trades and and talking about like your assets and and when it, when an asset's distressed like this and teams know it, like your your offers are they're gonna be they're shit. You, know, you got to put a guy on waivers. Like how teams handle some of these situations with their players is just so wrong. Whether whether it's the media coming out and saying it or it's the management or they're trying to make a statement because the New York Rangers right now are not playing up to where they need to be and they got media all over them. What, what, like now, why is Tony like D'Angelo in a situation on waivers? And he's a guy that has such an upside to teams, as you just mentioned, Obi, right hand shot, fourth and D scoring, guy that can play power play and, and minutes. He should be a guy you trade for a top, you know, a first round pick and another guy. And, and, and now they're stuck in this situation where everyone thinks he's a bad guy. And to me, you know, it's it's the Dubois situation. It's just handled poorly. And you know, you're right, Jimmy. This guy's gonna get picked up. This guy's gonna see the light of yeah, light of day on another team and and make what I think will make the New York Rangers look look silly for how this is all handled. So um, you know, I don't like when rumors get thrown around, but if it's true, it's true or whatever. Um, I see this guy going somewhere with a fresh start at a you know, he's a young kid and you know, good for him. He's gonna play somewhere and help someone out and you know, we'll see where that is. Uh, uh, dog, it's it's a pretty it's a good point by you, man. Like, uh, okay, so whatever happened in the dressing room with the Russian goaltender, why don't they just keep that in house, right? Go to his agent. Listen, this kid doesn't fit here. We're gonna trade him. Let's keep it low key so we can get the most for him, and you know, then he can go play somewhere else. But Oppie, I guess my question is: Is it too hard with social media now to keep this stuff in house? Because you remember in our day, 
Twitter was just getting going. It was like, don't air your dirty laundry out. But is it is it too tough nowadays with so many platforms and so much social media to keep this stuff in your dressing room? Maybe it is, or maybe there's too much access to like out the outside looking in, or you know, guys. You look at the the case in Ottawa a couple of years ago when all this stuff came out about you know girlfriends and wives. It's uh, some of this stuff is just crazy that it gets out. It's you know, t- geez, some of the best teams I'm on, and even some of the worst. You still keep, like you said, Obi, your dirty laundry within your house. It's like what happens here stays here when you leave here is the motto that you you have when you're on a team, and that's just. It's it's silly to me sometimes, and maybe we've been distant from the game so much that it's changed drastically. But um, it's just sad to see. I like when guys like fix their problems with within the group, and it never gets out, and no one goes home and tells their wives what happened on the road, and blah blah blah. It's just the way things need to be when it's good hockey, good teams. I'm just telling you. Up dog, maybe probably before you, maybe we just are spending too much time in Maui and Gaza Ranch. Maybe we're too far removed from the game, <laughs> drinking fucking skinny margaritas and playing 36 a day. But Broadway, can you keep stuff in your locker room still, or what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think you have to keep stuff in your locker room, and the, the only way to do that is you gotta you gotta limit what you say to the media. And like I said, I, I hate how stories like this get out and. It's just really frustrating because the kid is a good kid. Now he's got this stigma to him that he's a bad guy, like you guys mentioned. And they teams, I think teams need to shelter their players a little bit more. I, I know we want like the personality coming out, but all of a sudden the Rangers are struggling and Tony D'Angelo is a problem. But you weren't the Rangers were backing them with a podcast two weeks ago. So it's just kind of crazy to me that how this uh they they turn turn on you so quickly these days. Fuck it, they can turn on you, can't they? Hey, uh, if I'm Kenny Holland out there in Edmonton, I'm like, I don't give a fuck what this guy did. Let's get him fucking up here. <laughs> and he could help their back end for sure. But um, you say he's a good guy, Broadway. I got to believe you, so we wish him the best. And, and he'll be picked up for sure. It's just crazy situation for me. Uh, Updog, a guy that you know very well. I play with him myself. Broadway, you battle against him a lot throughout your career. Shea Weber, 1,000 games. Um, you know, you don't make a better guy, better teammate. And what do you think about seeing Webbs play 1,000? I'm going to f- turn my hat around and just tip my cap to old Shea Weber, man. The guy's a warrior, um, international hockey. Jeez, even in the minors, boys, he gave everything all the time to the game of hockey. Uh, the way he works out, the way he carries himself, he is a, he's an absolute warrior. So shout out to him. It's, it's, it's just great to see a good guy. I was never a Montreal Canadiens fan growing up. I got to be honest. My dad was a huge Leafs fan. I was an Oilers fan. Hated the Montreal Canadiens. I scored a bunch of goals against them and f- fucked them. But to see Shea Weber where the, where the captaincy on that team with the history there, boys, I think it's, it's, it says a lot about him. Uh, it's a well-deserved honor for him. And uh, nice to see him wave to the crowd at the Bell Center last <laughs> night when he, when he got announced for his 1,000th game. So shout out to him. And hopefully, uh, hopefully Shea Weber's around our game for, for a lot of more years. Who knows? But, uh, but that's, that's great for him. I think it's just been so impressive to see Shea Weber at a thousand games and he's still so effective. Like he's uh, one of the guys with the hardest shots in the league. I remember I was playing in Chicago. He was on Nashville at the time and I had to get in his lane to block a shot. And I might've moved a couple feet to the right. And I just seen one whiz right by me <laughs> and right over Crawford's shoulder for a bar down bar, Mexico type goal. And he, <laughs> He's just a guy, though. That it's just it's great to see, like you said, Abby. I don't know him personally, but 
you can tell he puts a lot of effort and time into his game and into his fitness because at a thousand games, he's still one of the most effective guys in the NHL. Yeah, well said, Broadway. And, and Websy, I mean, I played with him only for one year, but he's a great guy. Good sense of humor, too. Dry sense of humor. But I just seen, I was watching the game last night. And he, I used to ask him, do you, do you have any idea sometimes where that slap shot's going? Or he's like, honestly, oh, sometimes I just fucking let her go. And yesterday it came over to him at the point and that poor Brandon Gallagher was like coming across the front of that. And Webb's fucking leaned on it and hit Gallagher like in the inside of the leg. <laughs> and he was down doing the old funky chicken or whatever you want to call it. He was just like, ah, oh. so. Um, yeah, but Uppy, well said, Webb's a great guy, good friend to both of us. So a uh, thousand games, that, that's crazy that he's still doing it. And um, Broadway, sticking with the North Division, you wanted to touch on the scoring race. We, all, we, we said it before the season started, boys, that the fucking North was going to be a track meet, and it has been so far. So Broadway, what are your thoughts on the scoring division? I know you had some, uh, some, some good insight on it. Well- yeah, uh, I'm just trying to figure out if there's going to be an asterisk next to the scoring leader this year because uh, right now the top three scorers in the league are all coming out of the North, and then six out of the ten guys are uh, leading the league in uh, of goals. Which I think the exact stat was nine of the first thirteen guys, and and six out of the ten in assists. And then the goalies, on the other hand, are all the bottom of the league. So I, I just don't know. I want to get your opinion on it. If is the is there an asterisk in the scoring title this year because of the North? I think guys are just going to accept. Oh, all right, if we have to live in Canada right now and deal with all that craziness up there, well, uh, you know, we'll we'll give them a couple extra points. You know, we'll we'll actually mix in some defense to not deal with fucking Canadian government bullshit, which we don't even have to get into. But. Um, <laughs> I'm stirring it up to joke. And anyway, so, you know, McDavid, what he's doing, Dreisaitl last night, like the goal I saw him score in Ottawa. And I mean, mind you, Matt Murray can't save a beach ball right now, even if it was in the Hawaii beach right here. <laughs> um, but, you know, the Canadian division, Jimmy, what you said, they're just going out every night, pumping in goals, not playing D, and then, uh, you know, dealing with just some cold winter weather. So, you know, down here, boys are mixing in a little suntan and the guys in Florida are throwing in a little defense and it's just the way of the world right now. Yeah, uh, Broadway, it's a good point. How's that right? breakdown? It's, that's a fucking great breakdown. <laughs> it's a fucking Maui sunlight behind you. I'm like, this guy fucks. Um, I don't know. Maybe there should be an asterisk. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you one thing. How the fuck did we not take McDavid or Dreisaitl to win the fucking Art Ross? What were we thinking, Austin Matthews? Are you kidding me? Fucking worst pick because those two guys... I mean, they're, they're next level. So I still like to see the North Division tighten up a little bit. And I think as the season moves on, they're going to have to. But um, for people up north, you're getting some good hockey. So uh, we'll see how we'll see how it unfolds. But I think those two guys, McDavid and Dreisler, are not slowing down anytime soon. And like I said, our boy Tyson Berry is, is reaping the benefits of it. So Updog, one of our really close buddies, um, Jordan Tutu. Toots turned 38 yesterday. Happy birthday to Toots. Uh, there was a missing curfew clip. I played in that game in Nashville when he hit that poor fuck from Florida. I don't know who it was. Pro League. I was like, holy fuck. Um, first of all, how many games do you think that is now? And just happy birthday to Toots, right? Yeah, happy birthday, Toots. Um, you know, we were in a group text there together yesterday uh, with our boy BQ and, and Younger. Um, Toots is the man. He played so hard. He's been through so much. Two beautiful girls uh lovely wife jen at home he's uh 
you know, he's in a great place. 38 years old. He's always leading the pack. February 2nd birthday, second day, second month. Jordan Tutu. A lot of, a lot of wild wow. stuff in and around that, that, uh, that fella right there. But shout out to him. We cannot wait to get him on the pod. We, we get questions all the time about who's coming on next. And his name is always, uh, is always up there from fan requests. So we're really looking forward to maybe getting him in the studio because one-on-one boys, he's, uh, uh, there's no better guy to to share old stories with and laughs with. So, uh, happy birthday to you, buddy! And uh, fuck, was that a hard hit? Fuck, that was a good hit. Broadway, what what were your thoughts when you played against Toots back in the day? Did you know much about him coming out of college? Like, or, or did you know you got to keep your fucking head up when the when the little guy was out there just doing his thing? Oh yeah, and thank God we had Brandon Bolig on our team to to have to fight him here and there. But uh, Tutu was a guy that you kept your head up at all times. I remember fuck. When he's on the ice, you just want to make sure you got the puck in deep and maybe go for a change. But uh, it's pretty cool. The guy, he's got a great story. I got to meet him uh, once with you, Uppy, at your sick pad in uh, Fort Lauderdale. We were out uh, sitting by the pool. And he's just, like you said, he's a guy that's got awesome stories. And, uh, you know, he's been a huge influence in the whole entire NHL community. Yeah, Toots, he was scary. I said this before about the American League. When he when I first played against him, I ended up fighting Toots three times throughout our career. But he was... He was a nuts. killer, and, and Toots early as his career went on, he was a fourth liner. But up, you know this more than anybody. When he first started playing, he could score too. Toots had good skill; he could finish. Um, yeah, so happy birthday, buddy! Like up, he said, we're really excited to get you on the podcast, and, and we'll make it happen whenever we can. So, uh, boys, milk carton. We we missed the milk carton last year. We probably won't do it every week because we don't want to throw guys on every single week. But and listen, this guy was ten times the defense when I was made. He's made a hundred fucking bananas. Um, I thought it was a terrible decision when they signed him with Doug Wilson, but Eric Carlson, I'm going to fire him on the milk carton. Uh, he's had some injuries. Broadway, you got his stats handy or something? He's got two assists. He's minus He's got eight. three assists, minus eight in eight games. That's like a Broadway-type start my second year in Boston, <laughs> and that ain't good. Yeah, I'm Doug, what do you think? Obviously, he's a great player. He's been a world-class defensive. Just father time undefeated here, or, or what do you think is going on with Carlson in San Jose? Yeah, man, it, it, he hasn't really panned out, boys. That's a, such a big move. They, you know, they shipped Ottawa, you know, tons of prospects and draft picks, and and signed this guy to an eight-year max deal. It's it's a deal, boys, that I think is going to be, you know, looked at for for years as a as a staple on what not to do as as a GM, right? Like you, you can't. It's it's rolling the dice with a guy that's you know in the midst of his of his career and you're gonna max him out. He just doesn't have that edge like he used to. He's not skating as well. He had a hip surgery a couple couple years ago where he had to pull out of the playoffs, boys. Um, but you look at like him and like a guy like Drew Doughty, and I, I love Drew Doughty. I still think he's an incredible player. But you get him for eight more years, it's it's kind of scary to think of where that's gonna put your team and how much you know cap pressure that's gonna put your team on. Uh, in the years to come so you know heads up but uh that carlson and that nice long flow that's that's on the back of that milk carton right now boys <laughs> it sure is Alpi. and that's what i was going to say like the, he's proved that he can play on bad teams so sometimes you can pick oh he's on a shitty team he's not doing well but the superstars are usually guys that can turn that uh those teams around and i just want to know if that if that injury is was a lot worse than what we've been told is that a big setback because he just hasn't been the same player since he's had that injury. I know this, boys, that hip surgeries, like whether it was a hip impingement or they went in and had to shave the bone or if it was a groin or an abdominal thing, I'm not sure. It could have been all of it. But 
it takes guys like a good year and a half, two years to really come around from that. We play with Jonathan Huberto, who's the same thing. You know, he was young when he did it, but he could barely skate the next year. You know, he had his, his hips done. And uh, so give the guy a little bit of a break. You know, he's not coming off the milk carton. He's on it right now. But let's uh, let's just see if if over time, you know, that just strength comes back and he gets his speed back and starts to play up to his ability. It's almost a good thing we put him on the milk carton because every time we put a guy in the milk carton, they usually shove it right up our ass. So, you know what, Carlson? You should be happier on the milk carton. You're not on it for good reasons right now, but this could be the turning point. Yeah, exactly, Broadway. Prove us wrong, buddy. And, and I'll be well said by you. Anytime injuries come into it, um, you know, he's a great player. Hopefully he could bounce back from it. I just thought that contract was – and Broadway, you, you make a point of a, of a good player and a bad team. I'm going to throw a little chirp at our boy P.A. Pronto right now. I always told him, like, you're a good player on a bad fucking team, Mango. Like, everywhere he went, he'd have, like, a career year and his team would finish last or something. So um, I'm also going to throw myself on the milk carton. Uh, there was a missing curfew clip of me scoring a goal in, in Vancouver where I had an unbelievable night that night. I remember it. I fucking I missed curfew for sure. We had the day off the next day, but I went 166 games without a fucking goal. So uh, <laughs> up dog, I'm, I'm gonna throw myself on the milk carton as long as Carlson because that's a fucking long time without a snipe, isn't it? Well deserved, bud. But you, I mean, back then you you were looking good too. That you had that flow going. You probably had a nice Vancouver tan. I mean, hell, that's going to be one hell of a milk. That's one hell of a milk carton, if you ask me. That thing's going off the shelves. Call it a little almond milk, maybe a little cappuccino. Hey, hey, Broadway, I remember after the game, they came to interview me, and they're like, you know, your, your drought's over. And it was my first four-on-four shift of the year. I said, boys, this drought would have ended a long fucking time ago if I would have got one four-on-four shift. So I don't know how I got out there four-on-four. I think Mitchie Babe was hurt and Airhoff. No, Airhoff was out there, but we had some injuries on the back end. So Carlson and myself, I'm putting on the milk carton. And gentlemen, we have a great guest coming up, a, a good buddy of me and Uppies, Chris Long, uh, two-time Super Bowl champ. Um, Super Bowl parties back in the day were fun. The Super Bowl squares. Did you guys ever win any money in the squares? I always got skunked up, dog. Uh, did you have any luck back in the day with the Super Bowl party and the Super Bowl squares? I remember, so the tin roof in Nashville always used to do a square, a big one, 100 bucks, you know, 100 bucks a square, I think 10K to the winner. Um, me and I think me and Bizzle and a couple Morgan, a couple boys won it one year back in the day. But I recall St. Louis, this is probably four years ago when we sent our boy, when I sent my boy, Larry flowers to the game in Minnesota against the Tom Brady, but, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, I was, I was longer was playing that game. I was the only guy on my fucking team in St. Louis to take the fucking Eagles. And I bet everyone, I was like, yo, yeah, you fucking, you, they all love Tom Brady. And I'm like, oh yeah. This is the Eagles time, boys. And just so happens this Larry Flowers, he's been lucky as fuck this year. So, you know, things are happening to this guy in a weird way. Uh, but, you know, what happened in uh, what happened in St. Louis, I ended up cleaning up, um, won a ton of dough, probably spent it on the boys uh, on their first trip to Miami or back in Vegas. So that was a, that was a big thing. And lots to talk about with Longer. You're right, Obes. Lots of, lots of picks. Lots of prop bets. Uh, we'll get his take on the Super Bowl this weekend, and uh, it'll be awesome. Yeah, I remember the one of the best uh, Super Bowl parties I went to was uh, at Bergeron's house. He just bought a brand new pad in uh, in Boston. He had everybody over. He had the he has a brand new basement. He got the little skating rink in the basement, sick gym, and then he had this uh, Mario Kart uh, set up down there. Two of them, like an arcade game. But uh, I got lucky that night and hit a square as well, up dog. But I remember uh, I was getting chirped big time because it was the Patriots versus the Falcons. 
and the Falcons were kicking a field goal, I believe, at the end of the quarter. And I was selling so hard because I needed that 28 to 3, the <laughs> 8 to 3 to get me paid right there. But uh, I actually think I gave all the money to my wife, Kristen. I think she went and got herself a nice pair of Christian Louboutins with those. <laughs> That's a good husband there, buddy. I give the old, I guess it's not coming out of your pocket. It's out of nope. the, the team fund, kind of. But I never won one fucking Super Bowl square my whole time. I was always happy when the trainers won, right? I would always maybe buy the trainers a couple extra squares. Especially a guy, I wasn't at Frosty's Super Bowl party, but him, I would have bought all the squares. But anytime the trainers won, it was great. And I was typically, as this won't surprise you guys, I was typically hung over at the Super Bowl party <laughs> on Sunday. So I usually sat on the couch and just didn't do a whole lot but watch the game. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Missing Curfew Up Dog. It is my pleasure for to meet one of our buddies, to welcome one of our buddies from back in the day. We met this absolute legend at Bonnaroo, uh, going stage to stage. We'll get into that with him. He had some of the sickest outfits, but it's two-time Super Bowl, <laughs> two-time Super Bowl champ, and the host of the Greenlight Podcast, Chris Long. Longer, thanks for joining us, buddy. Dude, I feel like we're at Bonnaroo. I know, right? Hey, remember at Bonnaroo, just after the shows were done, you come down to our bus, or you and your football, Bradford and the boys, and we'd always have guys jamming out. We're just mm-hmm. hanging out, chilling. It was awesome. <laughs> It was perfect. You guys always had the sickest, like, uh, van, like RV accessories. You know, like you would accessorize your RV. You guys did it right every year. We had plants. We had st- strobe lights. We had ukuleles. We had mm-hmm. candles. I mm-hmm. mean, we had some chicks. It was. It was we had <laughs> of course, we weren't there for the chicks because our our, no, our, you- our wives, <laughs> like my like Meg. You you guys know Meg. She was I love, like, love Meg. She she was like. She was like, "Are y'all going to their bus again? You better behave." I was like, "Yeah, don't <laughs> like we're just, it's, my boy Tom will be there a little longer than me, but not me. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be home by midnight or t- Tom 4 a.m. Santee. Yeah, Tom boy Tom. good beauty. What a what mm-hmm. a guy. Yeah, longer. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure to have you on, buddy. We we listen, we love your pod, and uh, it's Super Bowl week, so we couldn't yeah. think of a better couldn't think of a better time to have a guy on to talk football, music, yeah. podcasts, and uh, you know it's just awesome. So what what have you been up to lately? I'm sure you're a busy guy this week. Lots of lots of things happening. Yeah, dude, it, it's funny. Uh, Super Bowl for me, it's like let's get this over with. You know, like as a fan and as like a media member, because I don't know about y'all, but the the cup is so cool because you're gonna get seven games of drama, maybe like in the finals, right? So when you get to Stanley Cup Finals, it's like a whole another journey starting, and and I love that. I actually think I don't prefer the Super Bowl to a lot of championship type situations because as a fan, like. 90% of our our fan or the NFL fan base is kind of over it. Their team's out of it. It's really about the commercials. It's about the Super Bowl week, you know, like all the parties and stuff. Yeah, the money. This week, there's none of that shit, right? Well, it's Florida, so they're probably everything's open like it's 2018 and there's no pandemic. Like but, it's Bonnaroo. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but I think this is a unique week because Kansas City's home. I just mentioned that, you know, like they're all practicing at home. Like usually they'd have gotten in two, three days ago, Tampa Bay's home, but that's not necessarily a good thing now because although there's no like official Super Bowl parties, guys are going to be getting texts late at night. Like, Hey, we got, there's this party down here. My boy's got this thing going on. How do guys stay focused this week? So I can't wait as a media member for this shit to be over so I can take a break. We've been doing three, four pods a week, all season long. I can only do so much football, man. 
Yeah, longer. It, it brings me back. I want to just ask you a question about when you're playing because you're an absolute beauty and you kind of teed me up for it. Like, I know you're in two, you won two Super Bowls. Maybe it was different the first time, the second time. Yeah. But I've always wondered earlier in that week, you know, you get your work in, you get your media. Now, do you go for dinners? Are you are you poking your head in at the parties and leaving yeah. at a respectful time? Or what, what did you do throughout your two experiences early in the week come Super Bowl time? Well, I think everybody's different. Like, some guys are going to go out and drink early in the week. Some guys might be out on Friday night. I just like me personally, especially later in my career, I was always obsessed with my sleep. Like I was the guy on y'all's team that you would have been like, don't bother that guy. Don't knock on his door like too early or too late. You know what I mean? I I need my sleep and my recovery. And you think about it, you've been playing your whole career for this moment. Like I played in St. Louis for eight years and we were terrible, you know, like, you know, we, the only guy cheering for us in the hockey world was maybe Patty Maroon. (laughs) Um, but like, like we were just dog shit. So the, the minute you get into a situation like this, that entire playoff run, that entire week long, you're like afraid to stub your toe. You're afraid to get a cold. You're afraid to, you're afraid to just anything that can happen in practice. Like guys tear their ACLs in practice. Like imagine doing that on a Wednesday before the game. So it's like, you're kind of tiptoeing around. You're nervous that you just want to get to the game and anecdote about the second Super Bowl or the the second one that, that I was a part of, it was in Minneapolis. It's like zero degrees there. We're staying in the Mall of America. Y'all know that place. So on one side's the Patriots, on one side's the uh, the Eagles, and it's connected by a big mall, right? And you'd see guys like outside Benny Hanna and shit and like walking through the mall, but there was no contact. What we didn't know at the time, what we know on our side was 70% of the team was sick like on some level because of the cold weather, the travel, the exhaustion. I'm sure at the end of like a Stanley Cup run, it's the same way. Guys are just hanging on. The Patriots had a lot of dudes sick too. I'm talking guys hooked up to IV bags. I was sick. So you're getting ready to play the biggest game of your life, dude. I'm getting ready to play my old team and everything's on the line. And you got the chills or whatever, like two nights before. That's a bad feeling, right? But they still want you to come to the parties and shit. So it's just one of those things where you have to be kind of a curmudgeon a little bit and be like, I'm not leaving my room. And you got to be good at saying no. Yeah, we always struggled with saying no. We couldn't even spell it longer, actually. That's why we started started a podcast called Missing Curfew, solely because the guys who know us, when we left the game, they're like, you fucking beauty's got to like, you got to have a platform. You got to have a platform to just, you know, uh, tell the stories, ask the right questions. Yeah. Let the guys know how you were able to do it, you know, and, and part of it was just showing up, right? Like you being a gamer and, yeah. you know, you, you prep, you were saying you sleep, uh, like whether you're getting ready for Bonnaroo and you're, you're gearing up, you're having an IV bag before you're going on a week long. Same thing. You got to be prepared to give your best. Like you the, do. Super Bowl, the Super Bowl for music festivals, boys to us is Bonnaroo. Listen, and, uh, yeah, dude, yeah. You're, you're right, man. Like, it's just, not everybody has the same way of doing things. I know guys that could go out on a Friday and absolutely get obliterated and then go out and ball out. Like, my thing was never – I was never – I've never been a natural at anything, so I've always had to kind of grind to, to get there. And so, like, that extended into game week. And you guys have, like, you know, 80 games, so of course you got to have your fun. You know, like, we have 16, so there's just so much that goes in. If I get – if I'm dehydrated, I'm a little bit tight, like – I'm going to pull my hammy and that could be a month. Like I think that way some guys can get away with just like kind of going out and rolling with the punches. And and I totally get that. The Super Bowl is because of that thing. And there's so many opportunities to get into trouble. It's a big test for teams. Kansas city dodged that bullet 
Tampa's still at home, so we'll see. Yeah, I just want to ask you a little bit about this game coming up. And I, I've been listening to you all week. Uh, you guys been diving into prop bets. You've been t- you yeah. Know, yeah, telling us and telling your listeners, you know, do you think two uh, of the best teams in the NFL are left right now? They're probably playing yeah. the best football they have been all year. Uh, the guys I know talked about Tampa all week, or sorry, <clears throat> down the stretch here and said, you know, they're all getting healthy at the right time. Yeah. Uh, their team is stacked. But give us a little breakdown. Are the you know these Mahomes, Brady? I mean, it couldn't be better. Two of the best teams playing their best football all year are matched up. What what do you think about the game? Well, I like I you know honestly, if it okay, so a couple matchups. There's a ton. Sorry if I go for a while on this thing. No, but no, no. It's such it's such an interesting matchup to me because you have Brady versus Spags. You know Sp- Steve Spagnola, who was my former head coach, who was also uh, one of my many head coaches in St. Louis now. Uh, he was um, kind of an iconic D coordinator in that Giants run. And the first team that slayed the dragon really with Brady was the 17-14 loss in the Super Bowl, the David Tyree catch. You know, that was all Giants D-line. That was, hey, Spags has the answer with Tom Brady. Now, the second time they played, Spags was gone. But Spags has always kind of had an answer for Tom. You know, that hasn't been – including week 12 when they met. You know, it's funny – uh, they blitz them probably half the time. I don't think they do that again. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach their matchup with Brady. And it's going to be interesting on the other side to see how how much man, you know, like for, for fans out there that don't know, like don't play man against Patrick Mahomes for a couple reasons. One, they're too fast. Two, you don't want to be in man coverage against an athletic quarterback that can kind of move around in the pocket and pick up yards on the ground. Because when you're in man coverage, everybody's back is turned to the line of scrimmage. So as rushers, we always knew, hey, the guys in the back end are in man. Let's not fuck up these rush lanes. Let's not be all over the place. Because when you're preparing for Patrick Mahomes, it isn't just the 20-yard run that can break your back on third and eight. It's also, hey, he finds a window to the side of his throwing arm because the left end didn't you know, contain and chucks it 60 yards down the field to Tyreek Hill. I think they'll be in even less man maybe than they were the first time. The first time it felt like they were in man the whole game because they were getting toasted. They were only in it nine times. Every time they were in it, they got killed. They left Carlton Davis out on an island. We'll see if they do that this week. As for the matchup, I think the biggest X factor is, this is one of those games where the front four for the Bucks on a blitzing team, Tom, Todd Bowles likes to bring pressure. This game, let those fucking guys hunt. You know what I mean? Like four guys have to beat Kansas City's five guys, and that includes two backup tackles. So I know that's not, you know, the way Todd Bowles likes to do it, but this could be one of those situations. You know, you always hear a four-man rush can beat Brady. Here it is. Um, and, And I think two of the best teams are left. Brady is in an opposite spot than where he is usually. He is the underdog. You know, he is the guy whose team had to peak late, like a Giants team that goes nine and seven, a wild card team. When we went into the season, yes, they had the makings of a super team on paper, but really Leonard Fournette, you know, like Antonio Brown off the street. These guys haven't, you know, Fournette just came on in the playoffs. You haven't had to use Gronk a lot. He caught a screen for 30 yards the other day. Tom Brady has willed this team to be more competent to be more professional and they've grown through the year and now they have to depend on a four-man rush to slay the dragon so it's totally flipped you know the storyline usually when you have tom brady in the super bowl and i like the bucks man i really do i think they're getting four points if you're gambling um if you get them at three and a half by to four 
I think they cover, and I think they might win. Yeah, I agree with you on all that because I'm a huge Tom Brady fan and huge yeah. uh, New England fan. And that's what I was going to ask you about. What, like, what was it like playing in New England? Was it tough to play for a guy like Belichick? Everyone here says it's the Belichick way. And hearing about all the Super Bowl parties leading up to it, it seems like those New England teams weren't going to those. Yeah. And who was running the show in New England when you were there? Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Well, I think it's a perfect marriage, man. You know, I think so often in this sport you see quarterback, head coach. That these days that that partnership rarely lasts. And I think when we, you know, they walked away from a 20-year marriage and everybody was like, was it more Brady? Was it more uh Belichick? And we're still doing it. But you know, instead, I I, I always think about like, how did they last 20 years? That's remarkable in our game. I mean, you know, some people are good. Some people will look at some of the strains that it takes to win and some of the strains in a relationship that it takes to win and that are very public when you're on top, people pay attention. But I look at it more and I marvel at the fact that they didn't kill each other in 20 years. Like, it's amazing. And I I think, you know, Danny Amendola the other day said, like, the Patriot way is – is um, and you guys know Danny from Bonnaroo, so this is a little yeah, Bonnaroo circle here. But, yeah, yeah. but like, um, who's my dude? He – says the Patriot way is is Brady. I think the Patriot way is Belichick, but Patri- the Patriots capitalizing on the Patriot way, you need a quarterback, and that's been Tom. And it's like any marriage, it's somewhere between, I don't know if it's 60-40 Tom, because naturally I always err on the side of the players, or 65-35 as I scramble to do math in my head. But it's somewhere in the range of 50-50, and I think just more than anything, I marvel at what they did together. But you see what Tom did, because if Tom didn't learn from Bill, he wouldn't be able to do what he's doing in Tampa right now. Tom wasn't Tom Brady when he got to the league. Like There is a a tutelage aspect. There's a, a culture aspect that Bill set and Tom took the baton and now has implemented all those ways, the things that piss Bill off, piss Tom off in Tampa. And he has turned a team that was turnover prone, penalty prone. Like remember the Chicago game in the middle of the year, Thursday night when Nick Foles beat him and Tom didn't shake his hand. Yeah. Um, there was one drive that was like Tom Brady's purgatory, man. There was a penalty, a hold, you know, a, um, a tip, a tip ball, a sack. And he was just like, he had reached his breaking point in that team. Everybody was questioning him but he willed them to be competent and learn how to win and play complimentary football. So this is a real big testament to his legacy. Chris, can you touch on the Patriot way for a second and what it meant to you when you, uh, I remember when you first signed in new England and we were all pumped up to get to Bonnaroo together. It was June. You had probably did some of your summer, you know, your summer training, um, you know, off season training or whatever you guys call it. And you got to Bonnaroo. And I remember from the year before, when we were probably bouncing around till you know three or four a.m., seeing some <laughs> incredible shows, to to the change in like your demeanor, like I, I mean, you had this focus on your eyes, like you had just, you know, you had just met the dragon, and you were like, you were, <laughs> yeah. fo- you were focused. I met the dragon, all right, <laughs> totally. You met Bill Belichick, and and he, yeah. he he instilled something in you that we all, you know, we could all see whether it was, um, you know, Sam Bradford the same way, like just watching you you were you were focused on like how important this year was to you 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 got out of st louis yeah you were you know you were you had a chance to go play with tom brady you showed up to bonnaroo and you were like this this straight and narrow on a mission man and and just i guess your first impression of what that was like and and how man six months later you had a fucking super bowl ring that's just so incredible but no it was crazy 
it was crazy because you caught me at the tail end of St. Louis when I was just this hardened, like, kind of, hey, I'm going to go out there and bust my ass every Sunday, but I don't expect for us to have a great year. Like, after a certain time period, you get conditioned to expecting things to go wrong. And so, you know, like, nobody outworked me, but when I got to New England, it was a new thing where it was like, now it's about working smart. It's about, you know, buying into a new culture. It's about reinventing myself as a player because, you know, for eight years in St. Louis, you know, I played one position, left end, and I, you know, it, during my prime, I was doing it as well as any defensive end in the league. Like there were, you know, for four years, I was one of the, the, the best in the league at what I did. But starting with getting hurt and getting cut, I had to build it back up from nothing. And I had to play a different position in New England. I had to play three technique. I had to play inside. I had to drop in coverage. Going to New England was the biggest, like, kill your ego thing in the world. And uh, so I just knew, I think, when I, when I saw you guys that summer that I had entered this period in my life where I know that everything I've been working for for 20-plus years, all the blood, sweat, and tears, from a standpoint of being satisfied with what I've done individually, I need this cherry on top so badly to make my career. You know, even if I'm not going to play a huge role like I did in St. Louis in New England, I'm ring chasing. Fuck it. Like, like it's it, it's different to ring chase in hockey, I'm sure, and football than it is in basketball. Like basketball, you can ring chase and there's an asterisk, like super teams, all that stuff. Like when you ring chase in football, as great as the Patriots have been, they still damn near went like um, a full decade between Super Bowls. If it wasn't for the Atlanta Super Bowl, I believe the one that that I was in, like twenty eight to twenty one to three at the half, and twenty eight to three, like you're staring up there. And the last Super Bowl I think they were in was the Malcolm Butler interception, and before that it was like years before. So you, there's no guarantee you're going to be in that game. So I just knew I had to pour everything into buying in, and I guess that was like the difference was. I got to reinvent myself, and it was a, it was a crazy year, man. It paid off. Yeah, up dog. I, I remember I remember at Bonnaroo, I'd be like to Bradford, I'm like, "Where's Longer?" Ah, oh, he already shut her down. I just be like fucking Belichick. I'm like fucking Belichick. <laughs> Belichick's already got him, man. <laughs> fucking Belichick. But but Longer, seriously, bro. Like when we had met you, you had mentioned you were with St. Louis, and you know the next day we were having lunch or whatever, hanging out. I could tell, like I just met you, but I could tell how losing was. It was eating at you, right? Like you were you wanted to go to a winner and. You know, you're, you're such a great guy with the media and stuff. I have a question about your first Super Bowl week. Did you use the media to motivate you, or did you try to, like, not get distracted and just focus on, listen, I got to win this fucking Super Bowl. I've worked so hard to get here. Or did you use the media as kind of to excite you and motivate you more because it is the biggest game you've ever played in? You know, it kind of like – it's like an oh shit moment. When you first check into your room, I'll never forget. You know, you first check into your room, Super Bowl week. It was Houston. Um it was a fishbowl feeling that I've never experienced in my life. I shut all the doors and drew the curtains to take a nap. You know, I was hitting my pen and just trying to relax. And, <laughs> and, and I just could hear people outside. I could feel the energy of everybody descending on your hotel, on that city, helicopters, traffic. You know, you can hear police motorcycles outside because every hour there's maybe a team leaving from across the way. It's got a police escort or you can't leave your hotel because there's autograph people out there. There's people taking pictures and you go down to media. It's like your whole week. You're trying to do the normal things. You're practicing at the university of Houston. You're getting your lifts in. you're doing meetings in a ballroom. You have to be so malleable and adaptable as a team 
And also from a team standpoint, you have to, you have to be able to hit the curveball from like a football operations standpoint, like hockey. You guys probably got a guy that plans out your bus trips, everything like a hockey operations guy. We have a football operations guy. That person, like that's the hardest week of their life from coordinating all the things we have to do that are outside the norm, but you want to feel like it's a normal game week, including to your point, Shane, waking up in the fucking morning before, like when I could be getting treatment and having to go down there and sit in a room, like I'm cat, like your cattle and they just push you around the room and people are screaming at you questions like, Hey, this is, you know, X for, you know, it's like, you got a guy from Brazil, you got a guy from Russia, you got a guy like it truly drives it home. When you hear some of those people in that room, like you see people from CNN and, 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 and like, you know, major news networks. And it's like, this is a football game, you know, like, but this is the biggest circus on the planet. And, you know, selling ads for like $10 million in this motherfucker. So don't fuck this up. You know, all the nightmare scenarios go through your head. Like, what could you do wrong to be the the goat in a bad way? Like to be the guy that everybody looks back on and say, you messed the Super Bowl up. You got to try to eliminate all that. So when you're laying in your room, bringing it back to square one, you just have to practice thinking like this is a normal trip. You might feel all the buzz and the energy, but trying to normalize it as much as you can. That includes the media too. Yeah, that's a great question. What uh, what do you think old Goatski, Tom Brady's doing this? Like, is, is this so ingrained in his head right now? Like, is he getting there right now with just like, like, is he, is he already playing this game out in his head? He already knows exactly what's going on. Like, I feel like he's so, he's been there so much. Time's you know, trip. for us in hockey, yeah. we we, 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 for us in hockey, like Sidney Crosby's been there, you know, four times, five times, uh, you know, th- their minds are so more powerful almost than how they come, you know, how they physically play the game. So I guess, could you take us into what like he's probably doing right now this week? Yeah. Is, he, is he already, is he already slinging fucking, you know, balls downfield? Yeah. What's he up to? I don't, you know, like, it's so funny because Tom is one of the most down to earth superstars I ever met. You know, when I was in Boston, I told the story from time to time. You know, if you want me to describe Tom as a teammate, first day I showed up. Now, I was a good player in the league now, like real good player, but I was never a superstar. So, you know, I walk in this locker room full of some great players, all this history. It's the first day off season workouts. And I remember exactly where I was. I walked through the door in the hallway after a team meeting. Guys are kind of filing out. And, uh, Tom Brady came up and introduced himself and he didn't just come up and introduce himself. He did it as hi, I'm Tom. Like as if I don't know who the fuck you are, dude, (laughs) you know, like that's the kind of guy he is. Like I wasn't some marquee free agent signing at that point. I was, you know, one of the many guys who had a successful career, but wanted to put that cherry on the top. And he always treated me with respect. And that's one thing, but he also treated everybody in the building with respect. And I always noticed that about him. Having said that feeling like every, he makes everybody feel like they know him. I don't think anybody truly knows Tom. I don't think anybody truly knows like what's up here with Tom. Like I think Tom goes to very dark places and I don't know how he got to those dark places. um, But I think that's part of being at the top. I think it's very lonely. I think that's one of the biggest truisms. Um, and he's been at the top in the world's like, you know, in, in the country's like most hype sport for 20 years, man, at the position that everybody wants to be. And uh, it's interesting. I would pay so much money 
for like, you know, to be a fly on the wall in his brain a week like this. I do think that he has gone through the reps. I think he's gone through the scenarios. I think that by the time game day happens, it's more of, hey, this I've done this before, um, to your point. But I would lo- I'd love to know just how dark the places his mind goes to before a big moment. Throw on some Oculus goggles and see oh. like exactly exactly what Tom Brady is like seeing and visualizing. That would be that what if it's so nothing? Insane. What if it's just he just is out there just dicking around? Yeah, yeah, he's just fucking around. Crazy. <laughs> he's like a little kid. He's like a little kid at Bonnaroo. You know? Yeah, exactly. Which I miss. And Ohana's next, by the way. Yeah, bro. We, oh, yeah, Ohana for sure. I wanted to ask you about the like. Were you surprised to see Gronk come out of retirement and uh, that relationship he has with Brady? Because they obviously they, those two together, some of the two biggest uh, icons in Boston sports. Do you think that uh, you're expecting big things from Gronk and Brady in this big game here, knowing they have kind of an advantage from being there so many times throughout their career? I do expect big things out of Gronk, um, especially blocking, man. Like, I saw a stat today that, like, Kelsey and – or not a stat, but somebody was like, Kelsey and Gronk are about the same age. That's really shocking. And I don't know if they were making a point that, like, Kelsey's real good and Gronk, you know, maybe he's not – Listen, Kelsey is one of the best of all time, but half the other half of the position, Gronk has been a 90s blocker and a 2000s receiver his entire career. So that's, to me, what makes him the GOAT at his position. And that includes Anthony Gonzalez, who was an absolute dog. But Gronk can block his ass off, and that's what's allowed him to remain very important to this Tampa team. Listen, you play 10 years in New England – or eight years in New England doing what he's done, that's 15 in dog years. Like, you know, New England is a grind, and and they draft a lot of Alabama guys like Dante Hightower. I'm like, this guy's 50 years old in football years because he played for Nick Saban and then Bill Belichick. <laughs> Gronk, if you watch, like, the, the Washington game, and everybody's like, oh, Chase Young, these guys, like, and they are good players. But Gronk blocked his ass off. And, you know, it was like last week. Gronk blocked his ass off, and you didn't see him in the receiving game until that huge screen at the end of the game. Um, I wouldn't expect him to maybe go for 100 yards, but if you're watching Gronk and the run game is going to be important to them, I don't believe you you can play keep away with Kansas City, but they're going to need to pick up and move the chains in third and short situations and on first down and get off to a good start. Gronk is going to be instrumental there, and I think Tom has a huge day, man. I really do. I think he, you know, if you if you look at the New Orleans hump he had to get over, look at the first game. And then the second game, you're like, damn, if they see him again, it's rough for them. He played really well in that game. Um, and he's he's been he he made some really nice throws last week. He threw three picks in the second half. They were all like punts, right? They were all in plus territory. I think he's gonna have a big day. Yeah, long, long, longer, longer, and about Gronk too. I just if they win, I can't wait to see how fucked up he gets after the game. And when just, oh my yeah, god, he's always just like <laughs> I'm like, if that's not just winning right there, you can do whatever the fuck you want after he you just, win. It's amazing, right? He's a wrestler, bro. He's a pro <laughs> wrestler. <laughs> hey, hey, longer. You, you'd mentioned your wife, who we love, and you're a great family man. And, and I thought this when you were, you know, when you did your Super Bowl weeks. How was it dealing with your family? You, you talked about all the preparation, the media. For you, how was it dealing with your family throughout that week? Do you say, hey, I'll see you after the game? Do you see him for an hour a day? How was it dealing with that throughout your two Super Bowl weeks and victories? You know, it's funny, man, because that's a huge thing. You know, like not just your family. Everybody wants to 
Hey, can I see you when I come to Houston? You want to hook up in the hall, in the, in the uh, lobby, man? Like I'm coming in from out of town. So starting with people who aren't in your family, I think one of the best things you have to be at, one of the, one of the best words, you know, the word that you, you couldn't spell earlier upper was like, no, you have to be very good at, <laughs> at, at vocalizing that word to people who are not necessarily people you have to see. And that might hurt some feelings. Like some people are going to be like, damn, I came to Houston and you gave me a ticket, which you bought, which is incredibly expensive, but I also expected to see you in the lobby. Well, tough shit. Like I'm busy. I don't like I'm a bear in a cave right now. You know what I mean? And for me, at least by the time I was in the Super Bowl, I had I had one son the first time. Um, well, you know, uh, Luke, my youngest, didn't get to see either of them. But to to get to see Waylon, my four year old now, um, and go visit him in my wife's hotel room or go visit my parents, like that meant everything to me. And honestly, as stress stressful as that week was, that was like the grounding mechanism for me was getting in there for an hour and just sit with my kid and sit with my wife. You know, like it, it reminded me of like people before a, a, a heavyweight bout that like are sitting back there with their family. Like all the eyes in the world are on every player playing that game, but we all have like kind of emotional support dogs. You know what I mean? My emotional support dog was my kid, those two, those two Super Bowls. And then afterwards, man, being on the field with, with uh, my family, that's what just, I mean, golly, you, your whole life flashes before your eyes. And those people are, you know, the stars of that that show, man. Yeah, I don't think people understand because we were talking about it when the the NHL had to do the bubble and being away from your family for that long. I truly don't understand. People see professional athletes and think you have the world by the balls. But, I mean, we do have a great uh, life being an athlete. But having that family there, someone to lean on, like you said, emotional support dog is huge for those whole weeks. It's a sacrifice, man. It's a sacrifice for all the people in your family, man. Like, you know, NFL wives sacrifice a lot you know, to, to just, you're away from your family for the fall. And even when you're home, you're not really home. That's one of the hardest things is like during the season to be mentally as present as you can, when you get home, you know, this, this sport drains your adrenaline, man. It's, it, it, you got nothing left uh, when it, when it's done for the year and you're gone from 7am to 7pm throughout the whole week, which is, that's the, you know, it's a grind and we get paid well, but, but your family feels it. And so like, that is, you know, for everything you've done all year and everything you put them through and for watching you get in a car crash every five seconds on Sunday, I mean, it's got to be terrifying. Like, so to win and have your family there is is a big deal, man. Longer, it brings me, we're talking about how good of a family guy are, a family guy you are, and you've been an incredible teammate. That's, that's no question. Uh, I got a couple things, but I met you in uh, St. Louis when I first saw, so I, like you, I kind of had to put my, you know, <clears throat> I had to put reality check into mode and go to St. Louis on a tryout at, you yeah. know, in the prime, in the prime of my career. And I went there, I played for Ken Hitchcock, who in hockey could be a lot like the Bill Belichick, like very strategic, hard on players, but you know, gets, gets so guys I hear, to play hard yeah. and buy in, right? <laughs> well, you were in St. Louis for a long yeah. time when he was there. So, um, I remember the first time I, I saw you in St. Louis, uh, I was dressed up, I was dressed up as Batman in, it's Halloween. Do you remember that? It was Halloween. I, I still have that that picture you burned into my brain with a Batman. <laughs> I'm full Batman. Longer. We're at uh, we're at the wheelhouse. Right? Wheelhouse. And we're just buzzing around. We're at wheelhouse. We're buzzing around, and you're like, I can't believe you're dressed up like fucking you're at Bonnaroo right now. You're wearing a fucking Batman. <laughs> but but uh, I wanted to ask you because we're a huge hockey. We're a huge hockey podcast. Obviously, mm -hmm. we're getting there. 
and uh, we have a lot of St. Louis fans. Um, what did it mean for the St. Louis Blues to win the Stanley Cup for for you? Um, you know, you were there. You did so much for the community, and that was that was really well known for you know for me when I got there. I could see how you know the fans interacted with you and all the charity work you did. So, two questions: What did it mean, you know, for the Blues to win for you and the family being there? And then uh, some of the charity work, bro. Like you've done so much for uh, for for kids in Philly and for you know the. I know you had something overseas, yeah. in Africa and stuff. Yeah. Can you touch on some of that? For sure, man. Um, Starting with the St. Louis thing, I don't get to be a fan a lot. And there's nothing, although a lot of people that don't know, they, they if they follow me on Twitter, I troll hockey Twitter. <laughs> they think I don't like hockey. I fucking love hockey, bro. Like hockey's like my favorite sport to watch. And 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 you know, that Stanley Cup run for the Blues. Oh my God, I've never been more of a sports fan. You know, like and and knowing some of the guys and you know, like watching, you know. Patty, who's been a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit more towards the end of his career and towards the end of my career, although he's still going, who knows how long Big Rig's going to go. <laughs> he better keep his feet moving. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a fucking guy that I would love to have on my side in a fucking alley. Um, so, so like, just knowing those guys and loving the city and, you know, watching those same fans that would show up um, – to the rink there to watch what, what was that enterprise center um they were the same ones at the edward jones dome cheering for us when we were down and you know baseball gets so much attention in st louis and it should but hockey is just electric there and so like that run from all the unlikely situations the dramatic goals the beating boston no offense there broadway but like <laughs> so they bought me out so it's all good <laughs> <laughs> but like you know like like Boston's a blue blood, man. Like they're elites. Like they just win championships. And this St. Louis is a little mid Midwestern town. It was like David versus Goliath and the way that series played out. It's just as an athlete, bro, I get chills thinking about that run. Cause it just, they, they, they found something deep in their gut. And so I love that whole ride. Now, I'll, one of those things I always remember where I was when they won it all was in New York at some bar. I can't remember, but yeah, I went out in the street and was just I was running around. Yeah, so I just had to get outside. Um, St. Louis is a great town. Um, you know, they like I said, they stuck by us, and we won 34 games in eight years now. So, you know, it's tough being on the team, but it was also tough being a fan. And then for that team to up and leave, uh, it was rough. Um, St. Louis gave me a start in the in the nonprofit world. Um, you know, I always did stuff under the radar because I didn't want to be like one of the hardest things is that is the look at me charity you know like which I'm sure some people see my shit and they're like yeah this is look at me charity but I promise it's not like I think when I started out for six years I was doing things kind of under the radar and then I realized I was kind of too being too prideful like I had some code and I was alienating all these possible investors in what I'm doing for good like fans you know, so when I launched the foundation, we started Waterboys, which you alluded to in East Africa. I went to to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, I did it. I loved it. It was a kick me in the ass, but um, I wanted to help out and to be a good traveler. I saw clean water as a really good way to improve communities over there. So we've done a uh, hundred wells now, large solar powered wells. Uh, we've we've uh, 
delivered clean water to a half a million people. We're on the way to a million would be our goal. We've employed the help of guys in different sports. We're trying to get into hockey. Um, we've done basketball, all that. We do that. We do educational equity work. We did some work late in my career with educational equity. Um, and then, you know, uh, we just try to keep the ball moving. Like we do things locally here. This has been a tough year, right? Like everybody's hurting. So we've worked in food security spaces. We've, uh, we've worked with, with, with housing and stuff like that. So it's, um, just help out where you can, man. And while you have the platform, you got to do it. Cause when it's, nobody gives a shit anyways, but nobody gives a shit when you're retired and you're washed up. I'm just telling you, like I've been out two years. I was the Walter Payton man of the year. It can be hard to get like people to do anything for cause. So you have to use it while you got it. Yeah, I agree longer. And and our boy Lupul, he met up on a room. We had a golf tournament for 10 years and his charity was the same thing. It was for clean water over in Africa. So um, you're always, we got a link, me and Joffrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're moves. We got to hook it up because he did it for ten years, man. Me and Uppy went up there. Um, it was always a good time. It took a couple years off my life and career, but uh, it was for, <laughs> for, for <laughs> but, but but longer. You, you do so much great things for charity. We, we, I got to ask you. Our boy Larry Flowers was a huge Eagles fan. Then you go to yeah. you go to Philly after, and they're going to the Super Bowl. I go, don't worry, you got it. Our boy Longer's got it taken care of. <laughs> and uh, you, you guys get it done. And anyways, the parade, bro. You look like a, I mean, listen, your your outfits at Bonnaroo are always top notch, top notch. You get on this bus with this fucking gangster jacket on, <laughs> and you are having a time. And I'm like, look at fucking Longer, man. So just for our Philly listeners, for our boy Flowers, how was that parade, bro? And you look fucking unreal real with that jacket on that you were rocking well let me tell you something man like you talk about a run we were just talking about the blues run um we were picked to be bottom quarter of the league you know we were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the nfc east um and when i went there i just went there because i wanted to finish in a scheme that i that i could play like you know i I mentioned what i was doing in new england so i that was a selfish so you know i won my championship now i want to go finish on top and walk away good and that mission was accomplished individually, but I never, I never imagined we win a Super Bowl. Had no idea. In fact, I bet an old coach of mine who was there in, uh, in Philly from St. Louis, one of our first practices, he's walking around like, Chris, you grumpy son of a bitch, like pick it up. You know, like I'm 33, I'm not in the mood. And I go, we look awful, Flage. His name was Ken Flage. I go, we're not like, this is a fucking joke around here. And he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, you wait until we win a Super Bowl. And I go, I'll tell you what, Flage, if we win a Super Bowl, I'll get your face tattooed on my body. I <laughs> in front of like 20 dudes. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to hold you that. So naturally, I had to get Ken Flagel's face tattooed on my ribcage. <laughs> That's the kind of year it was, man. Like, we just didn't expect that. And then to, to lose Carson Wentz, who was like an MVP that year, and Nick Foles, like that magic. The parade was 60 years of grown men waiting for this moment. And so that's why, like, the New England thing was special individually for me, you know, like, because I was a part of something and, you know, like, it was bigger than this team. It's a tradition. But Philly, we were, we're it, dude. Like, what we did that on that run, when we dropped our nuts and went on that run, like, we're legends, we're gods in that city. Like they could, they could win another five. Like we're the first one. So that parade was the culmination, all that. And that week, yeah, I, I found that fucking, um, that fur. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's faux for the people who are like, <laughs> it's not real, but um, it looks I, sick, bro. It looks I, sick. I found that thing at a costume store in LA and it got there the last minute. Um, 
And I can remember that morning waking up at 3 a.m. thinking I overslept. You're talking about thinking you overslept like for a meeting. Um, I thought I overslept for the parade because people were chanting E-A-G-L-E-S like at 100 decibels outside. It's three in the fucking morning. It's four in the morning. It's five in the morning. So when I tell you we woke up and had a good time, like I was on the George Clooney vodka. We drank the George Clooney vodka before. Casamigos, baby. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I sure think have. at Red Rocks, I think. Yeah. Did, did we drink at Red Rocks? I got given your fucking rates. We did. Yeah, we, we did. And me and Uppy just, I just yeah, drank Casamigos for five in the bar. straight Maui. Yeah. So we had like a bucket of ice and like five, we made like a cooler Casamigos, you know, like, um, and it was just in one of those Gatorade things. Like that was the diet that morning. So by the time me and Lane, by the time me and Lane Johnson spoke, it was one of those moments where it was like, you step out over the ledge and you look out and there's, there's a million people out there and you're like, I'm fucking blackout and I got to talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the kind of day it was, man. And, and, um, and you know, um, that's, that's the parade, man. That's what it's like. It's the best part of winning a championship. I guess now you feel like what it's like to be a rock star when they're just absolutely out of their minds on stage and they got to go, holy fuck, I still got to perform up here. <laughs> How about one? Yeah. Any better. Dude, yeah, Yield turned like 20 today or something, or 25 today or something. When, when did Yield come out? It was like the anniversary of Yield. Yeah, shout out to Pearl Jam. But like, how do those guys, how do those guys like live in quiet moments? You know what I mean? Like, once you're yeah. accustomed to that adrenaline rush, I can only do parades twice. That's it. <laughs> you yeah, know? totally. Well, well, they they live these super fucking uh, Pearl Jam show across Europe is like, you know, 20 Super Bowls night after night after night. When you think about that energy, it's crazy. It's Just insane. Bring me back to a live show, please. Yeah, dude, please. please. Oh, God. Take, Who's take the first band you would see? Who's the first band you guys would see? <clears throat> Uh, I mean, I want to see, I I see was... Pearl Jam and Ohana Fest is what I want to see longer. I want to see Pearl Jam at Ohana Fest. We're going to get there. Yeah. The last show I saw was Tame Impala at the LA Forum. I got COVID there in March. And then Ooh. the NBA shut down. And then, the, well, I was fine. I was fine. I was dancing around. Yeah, you're, you're a pillar of health anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, there is not, you know, you see me at Bonnaroo. I you look healthy on the outside. <laughs> totally. Always does. So, always does. <laughs> You have to, especially when you don't like wearing a shirt. You gotta look good. No, I mean, anyway. fuck, I'm yeah, I'm losing weight. I might be there with you, bro. I'm I'm getting jacked. Yeah, you're, so. you're looking lean longer. <laughs> I know, I'm about two fifty. <laughs> people are saying I look sickly. So 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 at the LA forum, I saw the Tame Impala last show that ever fucking I want to say played in LA. And the next week we had the Strokes, and then we had two Ooh. Pearl Jam shows that got canceled. Ooh. So that was our lineup. And then we had Ohana Fest that was in the – you talk about Ohana Fest. I yeah. mean, that lineup is is unbelievable. Kings of Leon, MMJ, Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder by himself. Oh. Uh, it was it was crazy. So I need an MMJ show. I love that they came out with a new album. Uh, in the middle of the COVID. pandemic, dude. That was huge. Love it. We, yeah. we needed that, but that's uh, – yeah. Broadway, where are you going? You said hip-hop? Oh, I'm big hip hop guy. I'm I gotta go see Post Malone or Drake on a concert. That probably, <laughs> hopefully, it's down in Miami too, so I can go to Eleven after with Post Malone because that guy rips that place up. Ooh, I like that. That sounds good to me. I might <laughs> I might meet you down there and then go to the Jacket Show. The last the last show I remember going to really, I'm sure I went to a show after it was um, last. Uh, it was the the Jacket Red Rocks trip. It was in yeah. August. Yeah, yeah, that was that a was great. Sick, man. It was two nights yeah. in a row, back to back. MMJ. Oh, 
Hey, Uppy, you remember longer the one year at the at the farm at the room when he had the all black and painted his face? Remember that? that? <laughs> he comes out for the show. It might have been like arcing, and Longer's got his face painted all black, and I'm like, I'm I don't know about face. face like, I don't know about face painted all black. I think it was. Uh, no, you think, think like was, a. Oh no! You know what it was? I went to one of those people. I went to the face paint stand where they yeah. fa- they face paint like different like cool designs on your face. I look like such a a. a you know, one of those people that does drugs for five days. <laughs> no. And I was really just there for the vibe, dude. You looked unreal. You had a black outfit, but your face was painted like you said. But you look, yeah, I like, looked over. I'm like, holy fuck, Longer. And you were just like dancing with your girl. I'm like, this is unreal. Yeah, we had a good time, man. I miss those days. I Me really too. Do. Hey, Obi, you got to share the story because we're on it. But my morning jacket. Share the story of when I went fucking complete star angels. In uh, in the grass in the VIP section, and Longer was looking at me. I was crying. I was fucking crying. I'm Listen, dying. it was during De Dante. It was during De Dante, one of oh. the slowest, most like touching, sad yeah. songs ever. And yeah. I'm fucking on the on the ground in a, in a, like a hysterical laugh almost, but I'm crying. And Obi, you're looking too many, at Obi. Too many like, Miller lights. This guy okay? Too many Miller lights. Obi's like. Oh, he's like, oh yeah, he's completely fine. He's in a he's fucking in his good happy place, place right now. Look at he's this. In his happy yeah, place. I, I really and that's one of the best songs of all time. Perform live. It sure is. Uppy was doing Grass Angels, crying, like laughing and crying. <laughs> doing that. And Longer's like, I'm like, yeah, don't worry, he'll be okay. Longer. He's just 20, really 23 minutes. They did that at Red Rocks. 23 minutes, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Anyway, there was, there was well, Longer Angels for me though. I, I wasn't quite there though. Uh, upper, you're always in a good place. Oh yeah, I'll be a hey, longer. Uppy's sure the only is. guy after Maui. four days. Four days of Bonnaroo longer. Where Uppy's like, I don't want to leave yet. Where everyone else is like, <laughs> Get me the fuck out of here, man. I'm, one more day, boys. I'm like, no, Bro, I'm I quit. I quit. I know. I, I know we got to go and everything, but I quit on Coachella one one time. I, I literally I quit the last day. Everybody left the house like from 45 minutes away. We had this beautiful house on the hill. I was too wrecked. And I was just in a really bad place coming down from like all that partying. And um, I just sat by the pool alone. I knew everybody went. It was the Tupac hologram night. Oh, I was there for that. Yeah, I quit Coachella. Everybody gave me shit for like years. I took an Uber at 11 p.m. just on time to see Tupac in the hologram. But I sat alone by a pool in a really rough place because I'd had enough. (laughs) So I totally hear you. No, hey, listen, Longer. My last Coachella, I was like, this, this is it for me with the with the parties and the driving around. So I, I feel like it's Bonnaroo is a completely different element. And hopefully, mm-hmm. one day we can get back there. And I know for me and up being Broadway Longer, you're an absolute legend, buddy. We appreciate it. Uh, first pod, check it out, Greenlight. Uh, we'd love to do this again longer, and hopefully Ohana Fest, brother, will have an after shaker at Uppy's sick pad. He's got oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I, Uppy would have a sick pad. And, yeah. and guys, we got to have you on the show, too, so we'll do a home and home. I would, we would love, love to. Longer. Okay, cool. I love, love it. All right. All right, guys. Thank you, brother. All right, guys. Thank Thank you. Hey, thanks, boys. Thanks, Longer. Well, boys, yeah, obviously we met Longer a long time ago. I want to thank Chris Long for coming on. Broadway, I know you're a huge Pats fan. That was cool for you. Our boy Flowers uh he was fired up to go that longer was coming on but as you can see up just a cool dude uh ultimate pro and now killing it in the media world boys he's one of the he's one of the coolest cats who has played you know the game of football the right way the hard way was liked by all his teammates we're a podcast that appreciates good guys good teammates warriors music lovers I mean, good family guy. He he touches all of them, boys. And a pleasure to have him on to break down, you know, what Tom Brady's got going on and 
playing for Bill Belichick in Super Bowl week. So, you know, it's a huge week. Great show. Um, Longer, thanks a lot, boys. That was great. Jimmy, anything to say? Yeah, he's uh, like you guys said, he's a really cool guy. And being a two-time Super Bowl champ, he's obviously been successful there. But like he mentioned, with his whole charity work, he's a hero in a lot of communities. He's been crushing. He even, I think, he, what, he forfeited a whole year's salary one year just to donate it toward uh, like young kids in school and making sure the education quality and stuff. So he's uh, he's an amazing guy who's uh, done really well for himself and doing well for others right now. Yeah, he gave his game check every day for the game check that whole year to that charity you're talking about, Broadway. So, um, boys, as always, enjoy your weekend. Uppy, are you coming back for the Super Bowl or what, buddy? What's your plan? I'm throwing a Super Bowl party, boys. I'm throwing one. It's it's happening Sunday, Sunday fun day, my pad. Obi, hit those slopes hard again, fella. You're back to Vail. Have a good trip. Hey, go Mix in, mix in a couple S turns. Don't go straight down that hill like you love to, you know. I know. And, and listen, Uppy, I, I, enjoy Maui. I missed you in the studio Broadway. I know what you're going through now, so I feel for you. Uppy, get back so I don't have to wear this fucking headset ever again, all right? It's, it's, not, fucking, it's, not, fucking, it's not fucking National League, but It's uh, not National League. Take hey, that bucket off. I love you, boys. Until next week, thank you for listening. Enjoy your Super Bowl weekend. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.